Why don't you go ahead and grab your Bibles this morning. Go ahead and grab your Bibles and turn to the book of Acts. We're going to be in Acts chapter 1 this morning uh, for a bit. So you want to have your Bibles on you. We're going to be burning through a lot of Scripture this morning. So make sure you get your Bibles open. Acts chapter 1 is where we're going to be. But before we jump into the book of Acts, let me, uh, let me start by uh, just calling out to the Lord together. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for um, a morning like this. Sorry, an afternoon like this. Um, Lord God, that we get to come and gather and know that we're not just coming together for a, a, just a meeting, not a club, not just a, an event to attend, but God, that you are here, that you are here now, and you are eager to do a work. And so God, I pray, I pray this morning, God, based on your promises, on your character, God, that you would do a work even now, as you already have been. Lord God, that our hearts stirred by worship as we lift up your name, as you inhabit the praise of your people, as we now open your word, God, that you would transform us. Lord, we see in your word that those who met you, Jesus, never walked away the same, and I pray the same for us this morning, God. Not, not because Jameson's a, a great musician or because I can preach really well, but God, because you are here and doing a work. So, Lord, I pray that your spirit would be at work even now. God, to encourage those who are brokenhearted, to challenge those who are pursuing other things. God, in all of this, we would leave here different because we've met with you. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. As you have your Bibles open to Acts chapter 1 there, you know, as, um, as I get older, I've been more and more convicted that I, well, I want to do things to, to, to stay in shape. And so I've, I've started running. My, my wife is big time into running. She's like, you should run. I'm like, I hate running. Why would I? I'm not being chased. Why run? And, and so I've started, though. I've started to run. Well, like maybe runs to uh, a bold of a word. It's more running, walking, crying. Like there's a lot of other stuff involved in it. But I, I, and, and, and I say run again because I've done this before where I have this desire to do something to, to be in shape. And I, I remember one birthday. I asked my wife, I said, hey, Libby, why don't you buy me that P90X? She said, okay, all right, because P90X, right? In 90 days, you have ripped abs, and so I did it three times, and P3X does not work. Um, but there's something about persistence and, and, and perseverance, and so what I, what I want to talk to us about this afternoon is this, that, that what does it mean for us as a, as a church, as, as Christians, as followers of Christ, to be those who persevere, those who are persistent, those who are devoted to, those who are constant in prayer? Prayer, prayer, prayer that's de dependent on, on God, that it's expecting God to act based on His character and His promises. And yet, when it comes to preaching on prayer, it sometimes feels a bit awkward for me. And it's not that the Bible doesn't have a, a, a lot to say about prayer. It's, if, if you've been in church at any length of time, that you wouldn't come to a, a service where the pastor says, we're going to talk about prayer, and go, really? And the Bible calls us to pray? It's not that we don't know that we're called to pray. It's not even that we don't know how to pray, but, but, but prayer is still hard persistence in it, perseverance in prayer. I mean, it, it takes work to do that. And in fact, when, when I, I do premarital counseling for couples, and, and, and a lot of my time is, is spent saying this, hey guys, marriage is going to be hard. And usually at an, an engaged couple, they're, they're just all doe-eyed, like, oh, no, no, it won't be hard for us because we love each other. Right, those laughing have been married longer than two weeks, right? <laughs> 
And if you want to take marriage and you want to take a crush and, and grow at something deeper and amazing and lasting, it's going to take a lot of reflection. It's going to take a, a lot of patience, a lot of grace. It's going to take a lot of work for that to happen. And listen, prayer is the same way. Yeah, yeah prayer is easy. We, we just go to our Heavenly Father. We bring our heart, our requests, our lives to Him, and we, we share that with Him. And yet, yet, don't you find prayer can also be such a battle? Maybe you've had this happen, and... and and Muskoka, I mean, you guys don't have mosquitoes down here probably, but like where I am, have you ever had this, so you're praying and then all of a sudden, right? I mean, you're in the throne room, you're speaking with the creator of the universe and a takes your mind off of prayer. Distracted. I mean, how easy can that happen? You, you can be two minutes into praying and your mind begins to water, begin, begins to wander, begins to be distracted by the simplest things and, and we begin to lose concentration. We, we could even begin to lose hope and faith as you're speaking with God. I mean, it's a battle. It takes so much work to be, to be attentive, to be constant in prayer and, and to, to, it takes work to learn the depths of prayer. So let me tell you my hope, my, my hope for what God will do even this afternoon as we dig into his word is that, that he would move us from, from not just seeing prayer as a discipline to go after but to see prayer as, as our desperate need, as an amazing blessing of the presence of God in the midst of our prayer. Here's, here's what I believe. I, I believe if we really understood the reality of prayer, that our prayer time would be radically increased. And I, I believe God wants to do something so amazing in our lives, in our families, in this church, in the community that you're serving. But listen, listen, every single major awakening or, or transformation of the gospel, whether it's in a, in a community, in a workplace, in a, in a college campus, at a church, every single one has been characterized by intense, persistent prayer. Every single one. In fact, here's a quote by a guy named Samuel Zwemer. He said this. He said, the history of missions is the history of answered prayer. He says, I'm convinced that when we stand before God, we'll discover that every soul ever brought to a knowledge of Christ was in some way related to intercessory prayer. I mean, what if God had so much more for us, so, so much more for this community, so much more for this church, so much more for our families, but, but we never experienced it, never got it simply because we didn't ask. And so as we look at what it is to be a church, I think often we could be lulled into this thinking that, no, no, church is going to be successful. Me walking out my faith is going to be successful because of my ability. So, so I just need better systems. We need better programs. We need better skilled people. And if we're not careful, we can create an entire church culture. Now, we would, we would never say this out loud, but we can create this entire church culture where we don't actually need the power of God. So this afternoon, I, I want to do something a little different than I would normally do on a Sunday morning at my church where I would unpack a piece of Scripture. And I want us to take a, a big view of the early church by rolling through the first 13 chapters of the book of Acts. Okay, we'll be done sometime tonight, all right? You guys got nothing else to do. We can do this. No, it's going to be a bit of a flyby, but here's what I hope we see, that we see the power of God at work in a church that's constant in prayer. We jump into Acts here. There's, it's really, you look at the book of Acts, and it's, it's this church on mission, but what stands out at the start of the book of Acts is that the church was not a, a powerful, was not a well-equipped group of skilled people. It's this, this group of inexperienced Jesus followers, scared to death, hiding out in this upper room. 
They're, they're these rural, uneducated men and women, most of them lower class, and what are they doing? They're not plotting strategies. They're, they're not discussing models. They're, they're not getting a whiteboard out to make plans. Look at verse 14 of chapter 1. What's it say? It says, all of these, with one accord, were devoting themselves to prayer. I love that phrase there. You're going to see this repeated a lot as we go through these chapters and acts, that, that, that idea of being devoted to prayer. I don't know if you underline in your Bible. I mean, that's a great thing to underline. Devoting themselves to prayer. They were praying, and, and in response to their prayers, God sends his power. As you go to chapter 2, you see what happens in verses 1 to 4. It says, when the day of Pentecost arrived... They were all gathered together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting, and, and divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, began to speak in other languages as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now, now imagine that scene. Imagine if here this morning there was this sound of a hurricane in this place, right? And flames begin to rest on everybody's head. And, and I, I'm not thinking praise the Lord. I'm thinking stop, drop, and roll in that moment, right? <laughs> what's happening here? What, what's going on in this moment? Well, when you read through the Old Testament, what you see so often when God's presence, when he makes his presence known, often you see sound of wind or, or thunder or earthquake and fire. So here's God's presence on display in the early church in the book of Acts. It goes on in verse 5. It says, They were dwelling in Jerusalem, Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven, and at this sound the multitude came together. And they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. So, so, so of course this draws a crowd. And, and in that moment, as they start to gather around, Peter stands up to preach, and he preaches the gospel. Stands up to preach that, hey, we're, we're, we're not standing here because of our good works, that, that our good works can't take care of the penalty of sin that, that, that separates us from God. So us in our sin, God in his righteousness, there's no way for us to work our way towards that. I mean, religion is so exhausting trying to work at something that you can't ever actually achieve. But Jesus, Jesus comes and lives the perfect life that we're to live dies in our place to take the penalty of our sin, raises again on the third day to conquer sin and death, and Peter preaches this bold, clear message of, of hope in Christ alone. But don't miss what's happening here. You can read this and think, oh, of course Peter would do that. I and mean, that's, that's Peter the apostle preaching a bold message. But, but listen, this was the same guy who just, just weeks before denied even knowing Jesus. So scared of even a, a, a little servant girl that he would say, I, I don't know this man. And now here he is standing up under the power of God, filled with the Spirit of God in front of thousands of people, boldly proclaiming the good news of Jesus. See, what you see in the life of the church is, is not God calling you because you're equipped, because you're skilled, because you're so put together. Your, your life on mission for God is not a story of how amazing you are. In fact, there's one point I just want to, I want us to see over and over again as we go through these verses, and it's this. God does his best work through humble people who prayerfully step out in faith. God does his best work through humble people who prayerfully step out in faith. That's God's, God's pattern all the way through Scripture. The, the, the mission we have as a church is just a, a bunch of busted up people pointing each other and others to our only hope, which is Jesus. 
So, so what will stop this, this story after story of God at work here at this church? What, what would stop God from using you greatly? Listen, it's when we forget our desperate need to reach out to him for his power. God does his best work through humble people who prayerfully step out in faith. That, that's how God will use you as a parent. It, it's not about your awesome parenting skills. I'm not, I'm not saying you shouldn't read good books and, and, and get into some great teaching on parenting, but, but it isn't just a, a do this and you, you'll have perfect kids kind of a thing. What, what you need as a parent is to fall on the mercy of God every day. God, work in my child's heart. What our, what our kids need is not, not, not parents with better techniques, but, but parents whose only hope is fully in God's mercy and God's grace. For them to look at parents and see a mom and dad who live out the gospel, who are, who are constantly pointing them with, with their words and with their actions towards lives who have a hope in Christ alone. It's how he'll use you in your marriage. It's how he'll use you as a witness. It's how he'll use you as a change agent wherever he has you. And so, so this morning, you, you may be thinking of all these areas of influence that, that, that God has you in, and you're thinking, well, I don't know, what do I have to offer? I'm, I'm too old, or I'm too young, or I, I'm too inadequate, or, or my gifts are so insignificant, and what, what possible change could I, I bring to our community? What, how could God use me in his kingdom? And it was, it was the great missionary Hudson Taylor who said it this way. He said, all of God's giants have been weak people, weak people, who did great things for God because they trusted on God being with them. All of God's giants have been weak people who did great things because they trusted on God being with them. It's, it's weak people clinging to a great God. It's, it's where you're so aware of, of how empty and broken you really are, so, so aware of your weaknesses, but also not just aware of how weak you are, but so confident in how powerful God is, so confident in his grace. In fact, read on, look at verse 41 of chapter 2. It says, so those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. I mean, talk, talk about church growth. Like, imagine the week before you were meeting, then you roll in, and you're like, oh, I'll sign up for Redemption Kids, I'll volunteer there. And you roll in, instead of a toddler group of three kids, you now have 300 kids, right? Like, I'm going to need more cotton balls and popsicle sticks for my craft, right? In Acts 1, it starts with about 120 believers. Acts 2, in a brief moment, God adds 3,000. And what's it say right after that? Look at verse 42. You see this word again. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers. Again, they're devoting themselves to prayer, devoting themselves to prayer. You're going to see this repeated. When, when, when words are repeated in Scripture, the Holy Spirit's doing something there. We're going to start to pay attention. Man, man, what's being said about this? The, the, there's something about this. The story keeps going. Look, look at Acts chapter 3. Peter and John, they, they meet up with this guy who has been uh, in his 40s now, been crippled since birth. And so he asks them, hey, do you guys have any spare change? Like, well, we don't have any money at all, but what we do have, we, we have Jesus. And they speak the name of Jesus over this guy. He walks for the very first time, and not, not just walks. Look at verse 8. 
Verse 8 says, and, and, and leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered into the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. So he comes in now. He's been sitting out there his whole life. People know who he is. They're amazed that this guy's coming in, walking and leaping. Look at the conclusion they come with as they see this happen. Look at verse 13. When they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, common men, they were astonished. And they recognized they'd been with Jesus. Did, did you hear that? The crowds aren't amazed and thinking that, man, Peter and John sure are amazing how this guy's healed, how they stand up and speak boldly about why he's been healed. They aren't thinking about their abilities. They're thinking, this is God at work. This isn't Peter and John doing something amazing. This is Jesus. This guy gets healed, and, and now the religious leaders aren't so fired up about this, what used to be just this small group. And, and so, so what do they do? They, they put Peter and John in prison. They begin to interrogate them. They let them go, but they let them go and threaten them as they let them go, saying, you've got to stop this. We don't ever want to hear you preaching about Jesus anymore. Look at chapter 4, verse 23. It says, when they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, what did they do? They lifted their voices together to God. They started praying. Jump down to verse 29. You see what happens at the end of their prayer. It says, now they're praying. Now, Lord, look upon their threats. Grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. They finished praying. Now, look at verse 31. When they prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Now, again, catch this. These are not a group of, it's not a group of powerful people. They're humble people, weak people. What are they saying? God, we're helpless. We're powerless, but you're not. You, you are sovereign, you're powerful, you're in control, and we're entrusting all of this to you. Listen, I, I don't know where you need to lay that over your life this afternoon. That, that truth that, that you are helpless. Maybe that's what you need to hear today. Maybe you need to be reminded again this morning that, that actually I'm helpless outside of God at work. Or maybe this afternoon you need to be reminded of this, that God is in control. I mean, there's an area in your life, there's a trial you're experiencing, there, and, and you're beginning to lose grip on the promises of God. That, that, listen, listen, God has not lost you. Go to Acts chapter 6, the story keeps going. Acts chapter 6, the church is growing so fast, they're starting to have some problems. Administratively, they're in trouble. All the new people coming, they're hurting people who, who weren't having their needs met. They weren't being well cared for. And so the apostles are like, we need to get more leaders on board. And so they, they prayerfully choose a, a group of people who are going to be tasked with, with a bunch of the practical needs of the church. And they, and they do this so that needs are cared for and so that those needs don't stop them from doing this. Look at verse 4. We will devote, there's that word again, we will devote ourselves to prayer and the ministry of the word. What's the result of that? Look at verse 7. The word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. I know that you guys, like, like our church in Muskoka, you, you want to be a church where you see lives being changed. 
So, so how do we do it? And, and for sure we want to plan well, we want to have, have the right people in place, good systems, but, but do you see the theme here of the book of Acts? Lives are being changed as they what? As they devoted themselves to prayer. All right, keep going, go to, go to chapter 8. After chapter 6, you, you start to read about a guy named Stephen, one of the guys they, they chose to take care of these needs. In chapter 7, he's brought before the religious leaders, the political rulers. He, he tells them about Jesus, and they kill him. They, they stone him to death. And look at chapter 8. At the execution, there's this guy named Saul. Verse 1 says, And Saul approved of his execution. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him, but Saul was ravaging the church, entering house after house, dragging off men and women, and committed them to prison. So, so Stephen's executed, it scatters the church. Now you would think, okay, that's it then. This whole Jesus movement is over. Look at verse 4. It says, now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. In, in other words, the, the gospel continues to spread, that, that, that even stoning, executing Stephen, it can't stop it. it. It spreads throughout Judea and Samaria. Keep rolling. Go, go to chapter 12. Eventually we see in, in chapter 9 that this guy Saul, sometimes called Paul, leading this charge to stamp out the church, but in, in chapter 9, he meets Jesus, and he's totally transformed. Acts chapter 10, Peter and Cornelius are praying, and the gospel now begins to, listen, tear down racial and ethnic barriers. Acts 11, the church in Antioch established. You get to chapter 12, and, and one, once we get to chapter 12, James has been beheaded. Peter's in prison. Look at verse 5 of chapter 12. So, so Peter was kept in prison, but what happened? Oh, here it is again. Earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. Church is praying. It seems to be their first action over and over again. When, when, when good things are happening, they're praying for that. When, when trouble comes, they're praying. And, and, and they're praying. We know we're powerless. We know we're weak, but we serve a powerful God. I heard somebody say it this way, that, 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 and I would say when we pray, we're acknowledging this, this amazing truth that, it, that my weakness plus God's presence equals amazing power. It, it's not my skills, my abilities, my, my planning, my brains plus God's presence. No, 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 it's my weakness plus his presence because that weakness leads me to this humble dependence on God. And again, what is it? God does his best work through humble people who faithfully step out in prayer. And then look what happens. Look, look at verse 6, chapter 12. Talking about Peter now in prison, when Herod was about to bring him out, on that very night, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains, and sentries before the door were guarding the prison. <laughs> I love this picture. Here's Peter, the night before his execution, and he's sleeping. He's not writing letters to his MP, right? He's, he, he's not planning this Mission Impossible jailbreak, all right? You just see the peace of God in the midst of this prison. Then verse 7, it says this, And behold, an angel of the Lord stood next to him, and, and a light shone in the cell, and, and he struck Peter on the side and woke him, saying, Get up quickly. And the chains fell off his hands. That's such a deep sleep, right? The angel bright light, he's, 
still snoring away, has to kick him. Peter wakes up. He, he rolls out of prison, heads to Mary's house because he knows that's where the church is meeting. Now, now remember, what are they doing while he's there? They're earnestly praying for him, right? So Peter comes to the house. Look at verse 13. When he knocked at the door of the gateway, a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer. Recognizing Peter's voice, in her joy, she did not open the gate, but ran in and reported that Peter was standing at the gate. Now imagine Peter, you, like, like you're on the lamb, you're hiding out, you just escaped from jail. And she sees him, Peter! He's like, shh, boom, she's gone. Just let me in, right? She's so excited, she leaves him at the door, she goes in and tells everybody, and she runs into this prayer meeting and says, Peter's out of jail. Look at this in verse 15. <laughs> they said to her, you're out of your mind. I love that. Here's why I love that. Because we sometimes can lift up the early churches, man, they were perfect. No, they struggled too. In the midst of their prayer, still struggling to have, have faith in that. And, and, and she's saying, guys, Peter's out of jail. They're like, be quiet, Rhoda. We're praying for Peter to get out of jail. Rhoda, get your phone. Add the hashtag, free the Pete, right? Change your profile picture on Facebook to Peter's face. That's what we're doing. Like, we're, we're trying to get him out. They honestly thought it was an angel because it couldn't be Peter. And while they're arguing, Peter's still knocking. Verse 16, Peter continued knocking. When they opened it, they saw him and were amazed. And all of this, why? The church devoted to prayer. Leads us to Acts chapter 13, where, can you guess what the church is doing? Anybody want to guess? You're right, they're praying, right? Look at verse 1. It says, now... There were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manan, a member of the court of Herod, the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. So again, here we see this church. They're worshiping, they're praying, they're fasting, and, and they send out the first missionaries who God uses to transform the entire Roman Empire. And, and now, 2,000 years later, over a, a billion Christians meeting all over the, the world to what? To worship and to pray. And I hope you're seeing something so clear from the book of Acts that powerful things happen when the church gathers to pray. That God does his best work through humble people who prayerfully step out in faith. I could keep going. I keep going through the entire book of Acts where you see people healed, demons cast out, weak people emboldened, whole towns completely turned upside down by the gospel, by the good news of Jesus Christ. And I have to ask this, don't you want to be a part of that kind of a story? And listen, listen, for this to be a reality, and this can be so easy for us to miss, Satan will not just discourage us and distract us with trials, but listen, he'll do anything to keep us off our knees in faithful prayer. Because again, it's, it's not our skills, it's not our abilities or our power, it's humble, weak people trusting in an amazing God. So if, if you want to see God at work, you want to see God at work in your life, in your marriage, in your family, in your school, in, in your community, in, around the world. If we want something more than just the very boring, I just go to church because it's something I do, that's a pretty lame hobby if that's your hobby, right? It seems from Scripture, it seems from church history, we need to give up on any dependence we have in our own abilities, giving up on making our names great, and instead, instead, be devoted to prayer and see God do something unbelievable. 
You see, the early church in Acts chapter 1, they they were scared to death in that upper room. And I I love that because I think there's a key there. That they knew in that moment there was nothing they could do on their own. And we've got to get to know the same thing. That that, uh, The whole mission of, of this church is what? To see the lost saved, the saved matured, the matured multiplied all to the glory of God, right? We can't do any of that outside of God at work. It doesn't matter how big you get. It doesn't matter the the resources you have. Apart from the power of the Holy Spirit of God, we can do nothing in this world for the glory of God. In fact, here's the reality. Here's what I believe. You could be the smallest church with the least talented people, the least gifted people, the least influential people, with with, with the least amount of money, the least amount of resources, yet, yet under the power of the Holy Spirit, you could see countless lives transformed. Prodigals coming home, marriages restored, people healed, addictions broken, lives completely changed. I mean, do we believe that? I mean, do you believe that, that, that you could do more in this coming week humbly dependent on the Lord than you ever could in a lifetime striving on your own? And listen, it's not a small thing. We, we can give mental assent to that and say, yo, no, the, I can see that. But, but it's a paradigm shift, though, for us to see this, these two crucial truths. I am weak. But God is all-powerful. So again, let me ask you, where where would God be pressing in on your heart this afternoon? Do you miss seeing the weakness part? Is your pride so strong that you think, man, I've got this? Or maybe for you it's a second truth that's hard. You're like, man, I I see my weakness. I see it every day. Are you trusting that God is all-powerful? And then, then you're seeking the Lord by faith, to see the, the power that God has available to you through Christ. It's why Paul, when, he, when he's writing in Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 1, and, and he's saying, I'm praying for you, he's praying for us, praying for the church. He says, I pray that the eyes of your heart would be enlightened, that the eyes of your heart would be open. Open to what? To the hope to which you're called. That the, that the gospel would just light up your heart, that, that you would see that you've been chosen and forgiven and loved and changed and filled with the Spirit of God, that, that in your weakness, he's saying, I just pray that you would see the covenant promises of God. I've been thinking a lot about Gideon lately, the story of Gideon, and, and God calls him to a battle that, that, where he is unbelievably outmatched. He has a few thousand soldiers to go against hundreds of thousands of trained soldiers. And so he gathers his few thousand together, and God looks at Gideon's army. Remember what he said? He said, your army's too big. I'm like, what? Like, are you crazy? He said, no, no, too big. I, I got I to shrink your army. So he says, hey, hey, take your, take your guys, go down to the water and, and begin to drink. And, and those who, who lap up the water like a dog, they're the ones I want to use. I mean, the first thing we see there is that God loves dogs way more than cats. Like, we know that, obviously, right? <laughs> That's his biblical truth. No, he got, God's making a statement in that moment. He's, he's making a statement to, to, those, to those guys, to, to us, saying, hey, hey, I want to show you that, what, that it's going to be 300 against hundreds of thousands because I want you to see this. Only I can do this, God says. I mean, Gideon and his army were, were so weak compared to the army that they're facing. But, but, but listen, if faith and dependence on God, if it's so important for, for us to be humble and, and dependent on God, then, then being weak becomes an advantage. 
Again, your weakness plus God's presence is this amazing power. And, and I think that's the, that's the heart of the understanding of what prayer is, that this intersection of our inability and God's ability. It's the fuel of our prayer that we're so desperate for God to work, to work in our lives, to work in our families, to work in our churches. I mean, what if we lived in such a way that we were constantly aware of our desperate need for divine intervention, where we're constantly saying, God, I can't do this on my own. I can't carry out the gospel in my marriage, how you call me to carry it out. I, I can't do it in my parenting, in my job, in my school. I can't love and serve. I, I, I can't walk day by day through life without your presence. That's the Christian life. We say, I can't do anything apart from, from God, apart from the power of God. And some people might look in at your life and see that and say, man, that's such a weak way to live. I had a friend of mine, he didn't know Jesus, and he was telling me, he said, I, I just think that Christians use Jesus like a crutch. And I said, no, we don't. He's a stretcher. A crutch gives the idea that I can do something. With, no, 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 I've got nothing apart from Jesus. The problem of prayer is not that we're too weak. I think the problem with, with our prayer is often that we think we're too strong. So instead, I would say this, let, let's humble ourselves, let, let, let's see the reality. God, I can't accomplish this without you. God, I don't know how this is going to turn out. I don't even know how it should turn out. And so I'm going to entrust it to you. This trial that I'm in, Lord, it's yours. This job that I have, God, this is yours. My marriage, it's yours. My family, it's yours. This church, God, it's, it's yours. And, and what if, what if God is just waiting to show his, his power in, in indescribable, in inconceivable, unimaginable ways? What if he's just waiting to show it to people who would take him seriously through prayer? The Puritan Samuel Chadwick, he said it this way. He said, the devil fears nothing from prayerless studies and prayerless religion. He laughs at our wisdom. He mocks our toil. Listen, but he trembles when we pray. Because as the worship team comes up, as we end off this morning, let me ask again, what, 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 would, stop, what would stop us from seeing God at work? To seeing God at work in our marriages, in your workplaces, in this church, What will stop God from moving is, is not your weakness. I would say this, it's a lack of stepping out in your weakness. Throughout the book of Acts, you read it, you, you see desperate, humble, devoted prayer infused their lives. They gathered for scheduled times of prayer. Where they said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to cut out in my day this, this time where I'm going to gather together with other believers to call out to God. They prayed spontaneously. I mean, when a need came, they just prayed. Let me challenge you on this. Do you ever get this? Where, I mean, after church, you maybe talk to somebody, you're in your workplace or somewhere, you're talking to someone, they, they express this need, and what do we most often say? Hey, I'll pray for you. And then we walk away. How about this? How about, how about we, we say, hey, I'll pray for you, and can I pray right now? And take it to the Lord in this humble dependence of, man, we gotta, we got to talk to God about this, because when you look at the history of the church, 
Not just here in the book of Acts. I'm, I'm talking about the history of the church. When, whenever you see God move in a mighty way, it's always linked to, always linked to united, devoted prayer in the church. So again, before I pray, God does his best work through humble people who prayerfully step out in faith.